0: you are listening to wera 96.7 fm arlington virginia this is your girl Yazzie speaks on millennial minds this evening we have mr john bell he is the author of memoirs for Cell, and he is a mentor and motivational speaker hey
1: john hey Yazzie. how you doing
0: i'm doing well how are you today i'm
1: blessed thank you for having me Thank you
0: for being here. We are excited to learn your story and and get to know some of of your testimony. So tell us um, where you're from and what it was like growing up for you.
1: Um, um, I grew up in Suitland, Maryland, um, right off uh, Sh- Shady Side Avenue and Suitland Road. Um, basically my 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 lifestyle when i was a kid it really wasn't that bad you know doing the normal thing kids do play basketball run around chase girls and you know um those type of things but you know my environment was was filled with you know guys who sold drugs and you Mm -hmm. know the violence and things of the nature and because you grow up in that environment you don't see anything wrong with it until you are part of it Mm -hmm. so once um i got you know a little older and I see that, you know, the, the respect and the things that my brother got from it, I end up wanting that. you know, Okay, so he, you had an older brother that yeah. was,
0: he was into, yeah, he was into like, streets. selling drugs and things? I see.
1: Yeah, and because my father was, you know, he wasn't in my life, you know, the way I wanted him to, my brother became my father figure. Mm-hmm. So my brother became my father figure, and, and all the other guys in the neighborhood, uh, I mimicked what I saw. And because of that, I became something that I never thought I would become. Yeah, that's deep. Yeah, Uh and you
0: all grew. You grew up with your mother.
1: Yeah, single parent, mom, me, my mother, my brother, my sister.
0: So you're you're a returning citizen. Uh You're formerly incarcerated, right? Um, Tell us what kind of led you down that path, and how you ended up like what how you ended up being incarcerated, and then sort of kind of take us take us on your take Uh us on your life journey. Okay,
1: yeah, I understand um well of course um i had you know i was i was very good in basketball mm-hmm. and um, and and through school yeah through school yeah mm-hmm. um I, I was like i played basketball and football but when I got to high school um i chose basketball and when i um decided to choose basketball um you couldn't tell me I, my whole focus was to go to the nBA But um, so you just knew you. I knew knew it. I was nothing. It was nothing that you can tell me. All my eggs was in that basket, and because all my eggs was in that basket, what I did was I didn't really go to class and do the necessary things that an athlete slash student was supposed to do. So it was a lot of hurdles that came my way, but they were self inflicted hurdles. Mm -hmm. Um. So one day I was um in my room. My me and my mother room was. Like, right next door to each other. And I heard my mom speaking on the phone to my aunt about bankruptcy. And, of course, you know, being young, you say bankruptcy. So what I did was I went and asked one of my buddies, you know, what bankruptcy means. And he said, oh, y'all gone broke. Mm. And because we were one of the families that always had, when I heard that, I panicked. And what I did was I went into the streets and I started selling weed just to say, well, my mother need money for anything. Mm. You know, I'm going to make sure I provide because yeah. my brother had just got locked up for I attempted see. murder. So I'm like, I got to provide. So now provide.
0: you sort of came, became like the man of the house, sort of. I got to provide. Like, how how old were you?
1: At this time, I was 14 years mm. old. I was 14 years old. And um, I, like I said, my brother was, he was the the father figure in my life and he had a reputation in the neighborhood so when he left that reputation was passed down to me and I didn't even want it I see. so it was like I had to uphold and carry the torch and not knowing what came with it mm-hmm. so once I you know <clears throat> heard about my mom going bankrupt and I asked my guy you know you know what, what was the contents of being bankrupt I panicked I went in the streets I got into the drug game and at first, when I first started selling drugs, it was my motive was to make sure we have, make sure we have. But when I got in, and things were happening so fast, everything changed. Mm-hmm. Now I went from make sure we straight to get these Jordans, get these Bojacks, and get these mm-hmm. shoes, and the the uh, attention and the, and right. the fun that came with it. It was it, it just it swallowed me up. It swallowed yeah. me up, and it was like I was more addicted to the game. Than the people that I was selling the drugs to mm. Yeah, see, so it was kind of mm. rough, but um, um, you know, all good things. And this don't was last, in the eighties or nineties. This was the nineties. Nineties, got you. Yeah, I graduated from high school in '96. Okay, but I was already selling drugs when I graduated. Um, I, I graduated. Um, no, before I went to um, before I graduated. Um, the young a young lady I was dealing with, she told me that she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. But the whole nine months, she was telling me that he wasn't mine. You know, her girlfriends was telling me that. So in my head, I felt as though that this was my child. I see. But you know, she was unsure, and so I think it was about the. Uh, it was October. No, I don't think I know. It was October thirteenth. Um, that night, something that was in my spirit. We was we was partying, and the very next day. I get the call to say, why you didn't come see your son yet? And I picked the phone up like, you got the wrong number. And I hung the phone up. But I knew who it was. So two days later, my mother called me. It's like, "What this I hear about you have a son. And I was like, well, Ma, she told me that it wasn't mine. So, you know, it, it's no reason for me to uh, tell you about it. So we went down there. My mother walked in the house. She picked up my son, pulled the beanie off his head, and was like, oh, yeah, this house. Mm. Right off the break. So right then and there, I had to make a decision. Um, am I gonna go to school and leave my child or am I gonna stay here and be a father to my child something that my father wasn't to me?
0: Mm-hmm. Now how old were you at this time? I was 17. okay okay. so
1: once I had them two options was you know presented to me, uh, of course I chose to stay with my son mm-hmm. um, but what it was is I was a father before I was even a man. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to learn how to be a man and a father with no blueprint. It was like buying yeah. something from Ikea, and they don't give you any instructions. Mm-hmm. So you fi- figure it out on your own. So I made so many mistakes trying to be a man and trying to be a father without a blueprint. And the most comfortable thing, you know, that was presented to me was the streets.
0: Right. So. And you were familiar with it, too, at that point.
1: Because I grew up in it. Mm-hmm. So once I made the decision to get in the streets, you know, I was in the streets, but my heart wasn't in the streets. I always say there's there's guys that's in the streets, and then there's street guys. Mm-hmm. You know, some the street guys are the ones who were born into it, and you have no other choice. Mom on drugs or daddy incarcerated. But then you have guys such as myself who had a mother that was right there. I chose to be in the streets, so I just was a guy in the streets, and I, I paid see. dearly for it.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. So take us a little further. So then, you know, so now you have a son. You're in in the street life. Mm-hmm. And then what happens to lead you? Like, how did you end up? You got when, How old were you when you ended up in prison?
1: Well, the first time um, I caught my first case When uh, in December I turned uh, 18 um, <laughs> November 19th And that next month December I caught my first charge And the commissioner mm-hmm. was like You waited till you turn 18 to catch a charge But um, I caught a charge then But they let me back out But right after that I started catching so many more charges Like mm-hmm. God was saying This is not the life I want for you mm-hmm. But because of the the thirst for it, I kept, I kept going. I kept going. No matter what how, I kept going. So um, I ended up getting a, a jail sentence. Um, 20 years, all suspended, but three, recommendation to boot camp. So I went to jail in, um April 1st, 1998, and I came home April 15th, 1999.
0: Okay. That was my first
1: jail bit. hmm And when I first came home, I was like, well, look, man, I'm not doing I'm not selling drugs no more. I'm done. I learned my lesson. But um of course the young lady that I got with when I came home, she did it's she her influence on my life at that time was bad. You know, she cheated and and I was you know, I wasn't a man with money anymore, so I didn't know how to function. Right. So the respect and the, 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 the uh I wanna say the praise and all that was gone because I didn't have the money anymore. Mm-hmm. So it kinda was, you know, my adolescent ego was a little peer pressure, so I jumped back into the street game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say from 1999 to 2002, they came and got me again uh, January 31st, 2002, and then he gave me a um, 15-year sentence. Wow. I pled the five years, but when I got the sentence and they gave me 15 years, eight months.
0: Mm-hmm. And you you had you ended up serving all 15 I, years? I
1: did 13 years, 3 months and 6 days. Wow.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And like the second time you were sentenced, you mm-hmm. were what? In your 20s?
1: Yeah, I was 23 years old. So
0: what what was going through your mind when you got that sentence? What was going through your mind and then what happened? So now now you're now you're in. You were in a federal prison. Now yeah. you're in prison. Mm-hmm. And so what what were the things that were, you know, what was in your mind at that moment first?
1: I felt you felt like you failed. I failed my mom, and I and I became um, something that I didn't want my father to be to me. I became the same thing to my son. Like I was, I abandoned my child, and I abandoned my support system with my mom, and I let everybody down. It, that's that's how I felt at the time, mm-hmm. but. As time went on, being incarcerated, I felt as though I let myself down. It was like all the dreams and aspirations that I had for myself, all the goals and things that I wanted to do for my life, I gave it up by just not, you know, not making the right decision. You know, it was a lot of things, like I said, it could have went either way. But because my environment presented this to me, I thought that this is what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Because, me, let me say this. When you look out to society today, and we'll get right back on topic, the working man is not the most popular guy. One thing I notice is that when you see a man come home from work, he's in work 10 to 12 hours, he comes home. Get off my grass. Get off my car. Man, y'all get from around here making all that noise. Stop hanging out in front of my house. And then when you see a guy that's selling drugs, Charlie, you want some money? I got, man, we go to the liquor store. You want this? You want that? And they're smiling, and it looked like their life is so mm. happy and free. Mm. So at an adolescent, I seized that, and he said, I want that versus get on my grass. And see, this is what happens when you don't have that male figure mm. in the household. That's deep. That's deep. You wow. don't have the male figure in the household. This is you. whatever you see in society, that's what you mimic. Mm-hmm. and you Wow. Be, And that's what I did. Now
0: you're serving time. Mm -hmm. And what 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 was that like? I'm sure that you met people that had like when they told you when they told you their stories. I'm sure that all sorts of thoughts were going through your mind. And Mm -hmm. and um, you've shared with me that that you started writing your books and Mm -hmm. songs and poetry while you're in prison. So just kind of tell me what what this new life was like. And how you ultimately ended up writing all of these songs and the poetry that that now you're publishing now.
1: I was so bitter. I was angry because I had so many unanswered questions. Why my father wasn't there for mm-hmm. me? Why I was I wasn't that bad of a guy to be to get 15 years? And I was angry, so I wrote around. I ran around the prison system for the first five years, and I fought a lot. Uh, I mean, everything was a fight. Dallas and the Redskins, we fighting. You say Tupac better than Scarface. We fighting. <laughs> uh, what say something about the Wizards? We fighting. So mm-hmm. it was so much. It was so much anger and and because of these unanswered questions. Mm-hmm. So it got to a point where um, I had fought a guy from Miami and I broke my hand. I had a cast on my hand. And one thing a man does never want to, he never wants to do is ask for help. So I had to ask for so much help with this cast on my hand that it made me miserable. Mm-hmm. So um, one day I just you know I was tired. I got tired, and one thing you can't outrun is fatigue. Mm. And I went, I went to my cell, and I got on my knees, and I prayed, and I said, "Lord, I don't want to be this way no more. Um, take it away from me. I don't at what you got to do, take it out of me." And I said that with te- you know tears in my eyes, and I'm hollering and loud, and I'm, I'm remind you, I'm one of the toughest guys in this prison facility at the time. But at this time, I was, I was tired of being tough. I wanted to be something different. I wanted to be the person that I naturally wanted to be versus wearing this mask. Yeah. And when I got up from that, when I got up off my knees, man, um, the guys that I already beat up, they wanted to fight. It seemed like the test was coming Mm -hmm. more and more because I was trying to get out. And lo and behold, um, I think it was, uh, again, April 1st, 2008, they went, they sent me to solitary confinement. And, uh, of course, solitary confinement is when you stay in a cell 23 hours a day, you come out for one hour.
0: But you're, you're by yourself. By right?
1: yourself. If the first three, no, the first day I walked in there, I was with a guy, and we oh. spoke when we spoke about Christ. Mm. He was a Spanish guy, and I was, and you know, Spanish and and African Americans don't get along in the prison system at all. So it was odd, but that's how God works. Mm-hmm. We had a good conversation, and we was in there for about three days. Then he removed them for about three months. I was in there by myself, mm-hmm. and that's when me and God had our tug of war, and of course. the 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 example me sitting here lets you know who won the tug of war come on now and um right then and there i all i knew how to do was sell drugs and play basketball and manipulate women that's all i knew how to do Mm -hmm. so i knew there wasn't the man that i was supposed to be so i asked god i said lord i don't know how to be a man i don't even know how to be a father so you need to teach me through the scriptures Mm -hmm. but also i need you to give me a gift and a talent that will help me feed my family, but also serve you. Mm-hmm. God is my witness. The very next morning, I wrote eleven poems, and I never wrote poetry in my life. It was like he was sitting on my shoulder, whispering in my ear, That's amazing. and I just started writing.
0: That's amazing. Wow.
1: And um, over ten thousand poems and 65 gospel songs later. I'm still writing.
0: Wow, that I'm is amazing, writing. John. I'm still writing. That is amazing. <laughs> wow, what a testimony! What a story! Wow. I have
1: books and um like the the long yellow legal pads. hmm Just at home, they just stacked, stacked up, up, full of poetry. That's amazing. Poetry, and it's and it's crazy because every poem that I've written, that's how I got to write memoirs for myself. Mm-hmm. I'm writing all these poetry, all these poems, and I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to do with them? And he whispered, he said, every poem that you've written is a chapter of your life. Mm -hmm. And I sat back and I said, wow. I ran downstairs, I called my mom, and I said, Mom, I'm gonna write a book. Mm -hmm. And she said, okay, well go ahead, you got enough time to do it. I was like, all right, (laughs) I was like, all right. So immediately he asked me, I was in Memphis at the time when I started writing, and I went to the, um, I went up to my cell, and I was so distracted by TV and basketball and everything. So a race rider had broke out on the compound, so they locked us down. Mm-hmm. So I wrote memoirs from my cell in ten days. Wow! They locked us in for ten days. In that time that I was locked in that cell, I wrote memoirs from my cell, the the uh, rough draft mm-hmm. in ten days.
0: Wow! Now tell us about memoirs from my cell. Mm-hmm. What was the inspiration? You know, what can we expect to read in your book and learn?
1: Memoirs for my cell is just not a regular prison story. Okay. What it is is 68 poems. But as I just said, 60, um, every poem that i written is a chapter a of my chapter life. life. So what I did was I wrote the poem and then I wrote the chapter of my, of my life that describes the poem. How I felt, how I got through it and encouragement to anyone else who happens to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but memoirs for my cell is inspired by all the demons that I dealt with. All the stories that I, you know, that I mean, all the stories that I heard and all the experiences that I, you know, that I dealt with in the prison system, even sitting down, talking to guys that got life sentences Mm. that never coming home. And they telling me how they got caught up and you know, the things that, you know, they went through in their life. What I did was I sat down and it was like I was able to record mentally record these conversations. Mm -hmm. And what I did was I put it down on paper. And just to let our people know that the generational curse is the reason why a lot of our people are incarcerated. The generational curse is the reason why a lot of our people are on drugs and just having a lack of knowledge. Mm. So my my goal was to enlighten our people by putting it on paper. And my goal was to let people know the other side of a wrong decision. Mm. Because when you're young and you decide to go out in the streets, whoever introduces you to the streets don't tell you about the other side. That's deep. They don't tell you about the Christmases that you're going to Yeah, I'm sure they don't because they want you. They want to recruit you. They don't they tell you. They don't, they, tell about you. That. They, yeah. they don't tell you about how you're going to have to look at your kids grow up through pictures and on phone calls. They don't mm-hmm. tell you that. How you're going to lose good loved ones from death and you're not going to be there to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. They don't tell you about those things. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn the hard way. And that's what I did. So my thing was I put all that into this book to give you a heads up and once you read this book you can't say you didn't know mm, wow yeah so that's what the memoir for myself is about the generational curses is about the things that went on in prison how we get there how we feel when we get there and uh, the things we have to overcome as men mm-hmm. in society not just a male i'm talking about as a man right. the things we have to overcome in order to be accepted in order to be respected yes. there's so many things in that book and i like i said the book has over exceeded my expectations but that's what God does. He does things exceedingly right. abundantly.
0: That's right. That's right. Yep. Uh, above all that we can and think or imagine, That's ask right. or imagine or think. That's right. That's and right. so, John, you're also a motivational speaker. That's yes, right. Um, and honestly, I think you're a preacher, but, you know, um, and, and you have these great motivational videos that mm-hmm. you. That, well, I see them on Instagram. You mm-hmm. may have them other places on YouTube or what right. have you. Um, but tell us about that. Like, how did that start and how how, how are people responding um, to, to your motivational um, and inspirational
1: videos? Well, because everyone knows Gucci. That's my nickname. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, thank God I'm delivered. <laughs> but that, that's, that's what everybody knew when I left the streets. Um, most people know me as, you know, the basketball player. The ladies man, not mm-hmm. being braggadocious, but this is my moniker. Um, basketball player, you know, he's a bully. He's a fighter. You know, he, um, he's ladies man and things of that nature. So for them to know that person when I left in 2002 and then when I came home in 2015, they hear me they hear me getting on social media and they heard me start speaking about Christ and right. how much I changed my life. Now people are tuning in because some people are saying he has an amazing story. Other people are saying, oh, he's wrote- faking. Oh, he's faking. Oh, okay. He's faking. Like, he has an amazing story. Like, that's how, actually, that's how me and my wife kind of tuned in. Cause when she seen my video on Facebook, she was like, Him? No. <laughs> no. God is so amazing. Yeah. Because of my past history. But. So we, she
0: had ended up tuning into one of your videos. Exactly. What? Is that how you all.
1: No, me and Kate actually met. 2001 okay Previous. okay it was a brief interaction and i was full of myself she was on top of her game and it just was brief and we you know split ways Mm -hmm. but i kept i kept on you know i kept track of her while i was incarcerated but when i came home um i seen her i seen her on facebook and i was like she still looks good Mm -hmm. and i reached out to her and long story short you know um she came to see me uh january 9th um and she hasn't left since that day i
0: love it god has just really um um done a 180 in your in your life mm-hmm. and um, i think it's so powerful that you're able to tell these stories about about growing up and your past and you know not having a father and not knowing how to father and asking god you know god i need you to teach me mm-hmm. that's so powerful that you that you had humbled you had humbled yourself and you realized that you wanted a different type you, you wanted a different outcome you wanted a different lifestyle and you wanted to 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 still achieve and to be all that you knew is is inside of you mm-hmm. and so you're you um uh, I, and I, I'm sure that through you telling your story um, that you're motivating other people has anybody come up to you or anybody like message you and say, "Hey John, oh my goodness, that video, I needed that or that was for <laughs> me or you talking to me." You know, like
1: that keeps me moving. That keeps me moving. My support system has been amazing. And um one time when I was doing motivational videos every day and I stopped, they actually got into my inbox and said, "No, you can't stop. I look every morning, I wake up and I'm looking for that. Mm. You can't stop." And then another guy was like, "Man, you know, I did time, looks like you did, and I didn't want to tell my story because I was embarrassed. He said, but seeing how comfortable you are, man, I'm going to tell my story. And I feel wow. as though a lot of guys such as myself come home, and we don't make a change because we don't say anything. And our people suffering because we choose to be silent. Wow. So, like I said, it was my obligation. I owe it to our people because I've been a part of the problem. I owe it to our people to be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And until the breath leaves my lungs, this is exactly what I'm going to do. That's
0: so powerful. That's so powerful. Now, did you grow up knowing, you know, knowing God,
1: or did you like? I knew of Christ, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know his story. Mm -hmm. So, if you don't know of a person, you don't actually know. You really don't take interest like that. Mm -hmm. But God put me in a place where He 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 said, either this is one of the things you're going to do. You're either going to live or you're going to die. Now, you look at your best thought. Your best thought got you 15 years in prison. Now either you are gonna do it my way or you are gonna stay right here. So you know, mm-hmm. one God, God gives you your freedom of choice, and my choice was I'm gonna choose Him because I want a better life yeah. for myself and for my family and definitely for my son.
0: That's beautiful.
1: So here I am today, man, and um, it's all about the grace of God.
0: I know that's right. That's amazing. So if there's um, if you could give us like if you had one or two pieces of advice for um. You know, anybody who has a similar story as you or have been through anything that you've been uh, shared experience, whether they were formerly, whether they've been incarcerated or incarcerated um, or, you know, maybe didn't grow up with a father. Like if you if you could say one or two things to them, what what would you want to leave with them?
1: I would tell them that you're not going to be able to do anything in life without faith, without Without and and I me personally, Christ is my the common denominator, mm-hmm. and if you're not going to be able to do anything without faith, and because faith and, and, and a relationship with God is going to put the right people around you and remove those from around you that will hinder you. Mm-hmm. Um, never give up. That's the first thing. Um, you know, turn negative situations into positive just by never giving up. Mm-hmm. You know, if you survive the prison system you'll be able to survive out here in the streets. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's the ultimate, that's the ultimate belly of the beast spinning in the prison system. Mm-hmm. So I always just tell them that my first thing first is to make sure you form a relationship with God because that's the only thing that's going to get you by. I can't give anybody else credit for where I am today. Mm-hmm. I can't give anybody else credit for helping me through that system. My, my mom was dead and everything, but my mom was dead because God put her there. Mm-hmm. But like I got to tell you, me, it's no advice that I've ever gotten from anyone that helped me come out of that storm that I was in. It was all crisis. So my advice to anybody, you know, that's in my position, or was coming out of my position, is mm-hmm. to make sure you have a relationship with God because that's the only thing that's going to help. And that's like that's the best and only relationship that's worth really having mm-hmm. at that time because. With him, you'll get the best people around you as possible. That's powerful. That's powerful.
0: Well, John, on that note, tell Mm -hmm. us where we can find your book, where we can uh, purchase your book, Mm -hmm. and also where we can find you on social media.
1: Okay, well, on social media, you can find me at John Bell Jr. Um, Go Coach John Bell on um, Facebook, uh, Coach John Bell on um, Instagram. Um, Memoirs for Myself is on Amazon, and also I sell it on my, my website, CoachJohnBill.com. Um, if you buy it from um, Amazon, they'll definitely ship it out to you. But if you buy it from my website, you definitely will get it signed. And if you're local, you get it delivered to you. I see. Yes. Yeah, so I see. That's just, <laughs> that's how I do. So um, yeah. That's that's basically all I have for you. And I just like I hope and pray that this interview blesses someone. And um, I hope someone else you know is motivated and inspired to tell their story
0: it will it will well thank you John thank you Yasmin. thank you for being here thank you for sharing your story with us mm-hmm. thank you for sharing memoirs from your sale mm-hmm. and we're excited to see all that um you know God has for you and and also the songs you know that that's gonna be exciting you know uh, you mm-hmm. might get some might get get some artists or or Actually, or I or, or
1: the six. You do? Where? performances in Arden, Stop the Violence Night. Four artists is going to be performing, but um, I'm doing... I got on the track with a young lady named Jamani and just out of the blue, he called me and was like, man, I want you to write a spoken word piece to this song. And I ended up trying to write a poetry to it, and it ended up becoming... A rap, so it was like a gospel That's rap. That's
0: amazing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So
1: God well, is opening the door for the, for the gospel I, I love
0: speak. that. That's so exciting, John. That's so <laughs> exciting. Well, thank you so much. And you as well. we'll see you again soon. Amen. <laughs> All right. You are listening to WERA 96.7 FM, Arlington, Virginia. This is your girl Yazzie Speaks on Millennial Minds. Till next time, peace.